Hello, and welcome to the audio choke here at MMATorch.com. Hopefully you've downloaded us via iTunes, and we're playing through your iPhone, um, I, iPad, yeah, maybe? Yeah, the new iPad, perhaps. Yeah. I Which mean, you can put in a blender. And <laughs> will it blend? blend? It will blend. Ah, that's good to hear. I saw the video hear. just like an hour ago. Why yeah. do you want to do that? Yeah, for internet views, I guess. Okay. You yeah. know? And to prove how awesome your blender is, although I don't remember the brand name off the top of my head, but whatever it is, it's amazing. <laughs> go through a flap chop, though. <laughs> Only if it's a remix. Someone needs to get the uh, Will It Blend guy to mm. remix something or other. Mm. Um, yeah, and so, the audio choke. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of got off on a, a tangent there. Yeah, I am Greg Rowland. I'm Tobin Shelby. And I'm Matt Collins. All right, Tobin, let's just get it out of the way now. Hey, remember last week when I said Roy Nelson was probably going to beat Stefan Struve, and you guys seemed moderately surprised that I picked him that quickly and all that, and then... No! I don't remember that at all! I don't know if you... I I, I know you might have missed the fight, Matt, but, uh, like, 35, 36 seconds. Oh, I wound up seeing it on YouTube. So, (laughs) all right, well, come on. Get it out. Look a man. Come on. No, that was it. That's it? That's all you got? I'm not going to rub it in your face. Why not? I'm going to pick, like, 80 other fights wrong this year, easily, so... All right, well, let's yeah, say he, he was right, and uh, I, I don't recall making the pick, and I have not listened to last week's episode, but yeah, I'll, I'll eat it. I wasn't bringing it up. Roy Nelson will be eating yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's hitting some burger joints after the, after the match. But yeah, no, I, I wasn't bringing it up to rub it in, but uh, we were talking before we went on air, Matt, and uh, talking about how I, I'm thinking people might be undervaluing Roy Nelson um, because he's coming off of the tough, you know, he's, he's a tough competitor, um, and, and most people's experience with tough competitors is, like, they're up-and-coming fighters, and, you know, like, maybe in a couple of years they'll be, you know, contenders, that sort of thing, where Roy Nelson has already established, he, he's, he's pretty well established already. Uh, he was one of, one of the better heavyweights not fighting in, in the UFC. And granted, he's not, like, a, a top-tier uh, contender at the moment, but a few more fights, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in that, in that spot. So I, I think there might just be some perception issues in that, but that's not to say Stefan Struve wasn't a, a tough matchup for him or anything like that. He just no, he, I don't he, think it was. He I, got he, his timing down uh, in the first ten seconds. Yeah, he, yeah, he was able to get inside his reach. No, so. he, he was able to fly through him pretty quickly. But you know, um, he's a uh, hard hitting yeah. crucifix using yeah. son of a gun. Yeah, right. I'll yeah. say his, his two wins since his time in the house have been way more impressive than his three wins in the house, which were you know. Mm. Basically, to some pretty subpar competition. Um, you know, there was Kimbo in there who uh, look, looked better against Houston Alexander, but that's not a huge statement right there. Um, and then, you know, there were the other two guys uh, that Roy Nelson managed to beat in the house, and all of them were pretty underwhelming wins. Mm-hmm. He uh, he finished two by way of crucifix TKO by just patting the guy on the head until the ref stopped it, and the other one was just a, a decision against a guy he was basically just out boxing for a while. And none of those three fights, he looked like he was really to take any kind of risks um, or even, you know, had any desire to have any excitement. But his two fights since then uh, were both by a pretty spectacular knockout. Yeah. I think he was playing the game maybe a little bit. A little bit, but yeah. I would think that, you know, you, you put your opponent away in 30 seconds, you take less damage than you would... I mean, Kimbo managed to knee him once or twice. Yeah, uh, yeah. He threw a few punches. Uh, it, it seems to me if you finish the fight, put the guy away, that's actually playing it safer than dragging the fight out. You could break your hand throwing a really hard punch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, uh, no, it's interesting. I, I think it's just like his 
I think he's, his appearance and, like, you know, him being on tough and all that just kind of has this weird mixture where people aren't necessarily – and not to say, I'm like, people should be taking him, like, as a, as a serious, you know, top heavyweight at the moment. He still feels like the underdog, even right. though he's been a professional fighter yeah. for several well, years at this point. He comes out to Weird Al Yankovic, and, you know, he has Bruce Buffer introduce him as a kung fu fighter. He's got a mullet. He's, he's tubby. He rubs his belly after the fight. So he doesn't come across as, like, a, a serious heavyweight. But but he's got the skills and he's you know a black belt jujitsu. I mean, I'm pretty sure I believe he beat Frank Mir in a grappling tournament at one point in mm. his career. You know, not a uh, not an MMA match, but a grappling tournament or a grappling match. So I mean, he he's. Uh, I just think you know it's a perception thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in his next couple fights, whether he's going to get. Uh, higher level competition or what the UFC is going to do with them. Well, this is a perception issue that's always gone on with the Ultimate Fighter for as long as it's been around. I mean, Forrest Griffin has never... I mean, he was the champ and he didn't get the respect that he was deserved by most people. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that goes for the most guys from the Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even the winners, it's usually like, oh, yeah, well, they beat up a bunch of idiots. And in some cases, that's kind of true. Um, you know, there's a few seasons where... A lot of the competition was kind of subpar, but there were some seasons where the, the competition was really tough. Um, Ultimate Fighter 1 and 2 both had a whole lot of guys that are still around. Uh, season 3 had a handful of guys. Uh, 4 was kind of the, the anomaly of the, the, season, uh, the show where they had the, the guys who already had kind of flunked out of the UFC. And then, uh, you know, one or two of them have made it back since then, but not really a whole lot. But th- there's been a lot of good fighters who have come up through the Ultimate Fighter system. And um, people just kind of always like, oh, yeah, well, they're a, a, a tough scrub is something you hear a lot about them, which is just kind of an unfair stigma. I understand when the show is new, and I was even kind of on that side early on, where it's like, oh, well, these guys are 16 guys who got you know their reality show fame, and the UFC is kind of unfairly pushing them. But as it turns out, of those 16 guys, five years later, eight of them are still in the UFC, and uh, you know there's been a lot of success in uh Several of those eight guys. Yeah, and that leads to a natural transition. I mean, we don't need to break down the whole uh, fight night card since it was you know over a week ago now. But uh, speaking of Ultimate Fighter, not even winners, but Ultimate Fighter uh, competitors, Kenny Florian uh, put it on Takanori Gomi. Uh, yeah, looking quite impressive, working his jab, all that good stuff. I, I think. I mean. There was no round that Kenny Florian was losing, but I think that's one of those fights where you listen to Joe Rogan talk, and uh, he kind of makes you think that Florian is doing better than he was. Not that Florian wasn't doing good. He was he was landing the jab and he was moving. He was kind of avoiding the damage. But at the same time, like he he never really had Gomi in any kind of trouble standing up either. And and Gomi did land some shots. It's not like you know, it was a completely one sided domination. But as soon as Gomi landed that shot in the third round, you know, Florian was like, Alright, this is uh is going to uh going to my world and uh uh you know, while Gomi it was competitive standing up. There was there was no reason why it was going to be very competitive on the ground. And uh, you know, Florian proved why he is a excellent jujitsu guy. And you know, that's one of the things that Takanori Gomi has always kind of had issues with throughout his career. Is uh, he is vulnerable to submissions? Right. Yeah. I mean, like he's a wrestler, but he's not really like well versed. Yeah, in, in the defense, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, it, Kenny Florian did look good with his jab, but it, it's one of those things where it. If you win a fight with a jab, it's going to be a decision. You're not going to like knock a guy out unless you're um, Shane Carwin. You're not probably yeah. going to knock. It. But you can control the pace and tempo of the fight. You know, working working the stand up in the way Kenny Florian did. But yeah, it really seemed that. And, and Gomi was just kind of waiting for that uh, that counter punch, that big that big shot. You know, and it, it never really uh, 
well, it, it didn't work for him. He didn't, um, and, and I don't know, I'm not familiar with a lot of, you know, I, I've seen several of Gomi's older fights, you know, but I, I'm not going to claim to be super familiar with his career back when he was, you know, like the number one lightweight in, in pride, that sort of thing. But, yeah, he just seemed to be kind of lacking a little spark. I mean, I, I still think he could be competitive with a lot of the lightweight division, but as far as, you know, like, you know, taking on some of the top guys, I, I don't I don't know what what's next for him, I guess. Yeah, it's really hard to say where Gomi's at with this fight because he lost to Florian, which really should be expected. Florian is probably the number two mm-hmm. lightweight in the world. Uh, you know, he might be a few more down in the world. Uh, he's certainly number two in the UFC, um, but, I mean, I would probably put him behind BJ Penn worldwide. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of other people would. There's Shinya Aoki, who's up there. Uh, some people consider Gilbert Melendez up there. But, I mean, Gomi is not in the top five. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, nobody's going to say that. So for him to lose to Florian was expected. Uh, that said, Florian was playing Gomi's game for 90% of that fight, and he was still kind of winning. And he really seemed to have no desire to bring it out of Gomi's world until the end. So that'll be kind of interesting to see where when Gomi fights uh, a lower-level UFC fighter, are they just going to take him down and submit him right away? Hmm. Or is he going to be able to block the takedown? It's going to be uh, uh, a more interesting test, I think, for him. Yeah. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe maybe coming off of his first loss in the UFC or, uh, you know, in his debut fight, you know, sometimes the losses can can help you, you know, mix up your game, your training camp, that sort of thing. So, so who knows? He might come back with a different game plan. But it just seems like what he brought to the table for this fight at least wasn't wasn't going to be a, that effective. So. And, and good for uh, Kenny too. Yeah. Like he could have just taken him down, you know, that first round, probably gotten the match yeah. over with a lot sooner. But you know, definitely, he, he's really flexing. Um, he, he's obviously not a not a master of staying up or anything, but it's he's definitely improved. improved yeah, yeah, and he's working on it, and he's you know showing proof that uh you know he's showing real strides. Yeah, in becoming well, a better. Well, fighter. he's got to work really hard if he wants another title shot. Yeah, so I think he. He's I got think that's it. the yeah. thing. Is and Florian's kind of funny with this. He uh, he started out in mixed martial arts after, with the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he was an outstanding jujitsu guy. That was his thing. And, uh, you know, he won a few matches with that, and he loses to Sean Shirk. I was like, well, clearly I need to have a more well-rounded game. So he gets into Muay Thai, just starts destroying people with this great Muay Thai that he's put together until his loss to BJ Penn um, last August or July, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, he, he lost to BJ Penn's boxing, basically. And he's like, all right, boxing is my new thing. And it's not that he's, like, completely taking these other things out of his game every time he picks up something new, but he really seems to focus on one thing at a time and just masters it. And uh, his boxing looked outstanding in his uh, first fight after the BJ Penn lost to Clay Guida, and it looked great in this one. He wasn't doing a whole lot of knees, a whole lot of kicks. He was doing all the jabs, which is much more of the boxing style as opposed to the uh, the Muay Thai, which we've traditionally seen him in. He's throwing a lot of low kicks. A fair amount of high kicks, likes to do the knees and elbows, and he's definitely mixing it up. And um, as far as kind of, you know, you said flexing his muscles, I think that has to do a lot with, uh, you know, he wants to be impressive because he's already had two title shots and he's lost them. And it's re- Dana White doesn't like to hand out rematches unless you really proved you deserve it. And uh, unless BJ Penn leaves the weight class, he's going to be the champion most likely. And Kenny Florian's really going to have to earn a third title shot. Or Florian just waits till BJ Penn leaves and then probably will end up 
beating what Gray Maynard for the belt or something like that. So, yeah, you know. I would I would expect him to beat up anyone anyone not named BJ right. Penn, uh, assuming that happens because you know you never know. Uh, BJ Penn talks. He's already talking about it again, moving uh, back up to welterweight. Yeah. Who, who knows if that'll actually happen? But um, you know if that happens, Kenny Florian certainly deserves right. to be in line. But um, you know you, you can't be expecting that to happen either. So right, we'll we'll see. Uh, any other fight night twenty one thoughts? I mean, again, not break down the whole card. Nate Quarry looked really bad. Uh, he was pretty. Uh, mm, yeah, he got knocked out. Yeah, which I mean, Nate Quarry's never been a world beater, but I mean, he he just seemed really sluggish or just didn't really seem. He didn't wasn't pulling the trigger. I I don't know what it was. He just didn't seem in in his in in the match that much at all. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the thing that got me about that is he, he's always been a slugger, but I expected him to, you know, come out on top in the battle of sluggers because he's always seemed like, you know, an upper-tier slugger, as weird as that sounds. But, I mean, he, he's always only kind of lost to some of the best guys, mm. uh, Rich Franklin and Damian Maya, who, you know, took him out of his game. So, I mean, to see him just get brutally knocked out by Jorge Rivera, who... Uh, is good, but is not great. Right. Um, that was kind of a surprise to me. I, I kind of thought it was going to go the other way on that one. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of bizarre, but, I mean, he's had two wins before that, Tim Cordero and then Jason McDonald. So, uh, well, I, I would imagine a lot of the tough season one veterans are going to be around uh, until forever, basically. Yeah, until they quit. Yeah, until they quit or unless they do really, really, really bad. Well, Jorge Rivera did say uh, before the fight, uh, he was talking about the... Tim Crater fight with Nate Quarry is like if you stand in front of me like you did with uh, Crater because Crater I mean in that fight if you just look at strikes thrown Crater landed more uh, Nate Quarry just hit harder yeah and that was the difference in that fight and I guess Jorge Rivera hits harder than Tim Crater does <laughs> yeah tough lesson to learn uh, other than that I like the uh, Ross Pearson looked pretty good against Dennis Seaver uh, that was that was a that was a good fight that that's one of the you know all three rounds you know, uh, went to decision. Uh, unanimous for Ross Pearson, but I mean the the action was getting pushed the whole time, and I mean it was good back and forth, and yeah, Ross Pearson was really uh, working really good stand up. He got caught with a, a spinning back kick at, kick at one point, I think, from Seaver. But other than that, I mean, like, good back and forth. But he was he was con- controlling the match for the most part, it seemed, and was able to kind of win out on the exchange. Yeah, I, I don't think the decision was really in in doubt in much anyone's yeah. mind. Um, but, yeah, it was funny to see Seaver went for three of his back kicks. Uh, yeah. They had been calling it all fight, Joe Rogan and Mike Goberich, watch out for the spinning back kick, and then, you know, he busts it out. And he never landed it 100%. He he hit uh, Pearson with it twice, but Pearson was backing away both times. So, you know, it takes away a lot of the force of the, the, the impact. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he, uh, I would imagine, you know, next time Ross Pearson's out, we'll see him uh – Step up again in competition, and who knows uh, who will fight. Have we seen much of his? And I'll admit, I didn't watch the Ultimate Fighter. The season he was on was that season nine. Yeah. But have we seen much of his ground game, really? Um, I I believe he scored an armbar off our Alaskan guy, uh, the Sean White looking dude. Uh, okay, I'm looking at his record. He's got a submission rear naked choke over Ian Jones. Um, an armbar over Aiden Marin. So he's not completely inept in uh, submissions. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, like that got, doesn't seem to be his forte. Right, yeah, but he's got several submissions on on his resume here. So, um, yeah, but as far as seeing me seeing uh, what he has off on the ground, I haven't seen much. But uh, uh, so I'd imagine you know the UFC might match him up with someone who can test him on the ground. But who knows? 
Uh, what other fights did we have on the show, real quick? Just oh, what was the? Um, it's been a week now. I don't remember them all. Well, yeah, because we had the. Uh, they threw in the one fight when they had the power outage, and I'm trying Ooh, to remember which. Oh, one that was the fight that made me so sad. That was Glayson Tybao against Cal Uno. Ah, uh, Glayson Tybao is huge. Yeah. Now I think they should make a, a rule in the UFC is that these notorious weight cutters, uh, Glayson Tybao, uh, Anthony Johnson. Tiago Alves should not be allowed to fight Asian fighters, like from Asia, because those guys don't wait. Uh, they don't cut weight as a general rule. I mean, they do a few pounds here and there, but they don't really – they aren't grown up in the wrestling tradition where mm-hmm. I'm going to sweat out 15 pounds and put it all back on. And they're fighting dudes who – I mean, that T-Bow guy looked like he was like 40 pounds bigger than Kaluno. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, you mentioned the Asian fighters, and I think that's just even people who fought, like, in Japan or something like that. I mean, because um, Pride veterans, uh, you know, Vanderlei Silva kind of encountered that when he, he first came to the UFC, and then, you know, since then he's, he's just recently dropped. But, yeah, people who fought over in Japan exclusively or more frequently just, you know, you fought it, they fought at a more natural weight, and weight cutting just wasn't something they really did. And then it's a huge part of, uh, you know, American combat sports. And, yeah, some guys, you know, cut... 10, 15 pounds, and some guys cut 30, 40 pounds, and, uh, yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. And, yeah, I mean, Kyle Uno looked like he was in a different weight class. Yeah, was, he looked like he was two weight classes away yeah. from that guy. I mean, if that was in uh, Massachusetts where they had that proposed rule yeah. of, uh, you know, the limit of how much you're allowed to rehydrate, like, that fight just would not have taken place. Yeah. You know, I think was it, what, this was in North Carolina, right, or was it South Carolina? Mm. Uh, I was getting my Carolina. The Bojangles Coliseum, wherever that one was. Uh, yeah, North North Carolina. I think North Carolina does have a similar rule to that, or but it's it's kind of one of those things is whether they choose to implement it or not. I think it's like an optional. Oh. You know, like the athletic commission can do it, and um, apparently it's a um, the the second weigh-in is the day of the fight, but it's in the morning, so you still have you still have plenty of time to rehydrate. Right. Then. Yeah, I mean, like I was watching that. And that's just like <laughs> that's watching a bully pick on a little kid right there. <laughs> that that wasn't watching, you know, a true mixed martial arts fight in terms of just like, you know, what who is the better competitor? That that was just a, a much larger man picking on a much smaller man. And after watching the fight, he's like, "Are you proud of yourself, man? <laughs> like, really?" Yeah, it seems. Uh, yeah, like it just looked like a mismatch, and uh, man, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll. I think in a lot of fights it could catch up with Glayson Tebow just because, and you hear Rogan talk about anytime you see someone who like who's really ripped or has just carrying around a lot of muscle weight, is you know they're not going to be able to sustain that throughout the course of a long distance fight if they have to go you know into the deeper rounds. But uh, you know if Tebow does this to his opponents, then it might not necessarily matter. Um, but yeah, who, who knows? Um, yeah, it does look like I was. Double checked online. Yeah, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina does have the double weigh in rule, mm-hmm. but uh, again, it didn't really make that big of a difference, especially if it's, you know, you weigh in in the morning and then you have the rest of the day. So. A little something we can throw in for our UFC nerd knowledge. Um, they were saying this is like the first time that a, a power outage has messed up a UFC, and that is incorrect. Incorrect indeed. Yeah, Mark Coleman versus Maurice Smith. The lights went out, Ooh. but they, uh, they kept the fight going anyway. Awesome. It was like halfway through the fight, and all of a sudden, just the arena gets dark. And, and it was uh, a really long match, too, wasn't it? It was yeah. like when they had no time limit and well, stuff like that. They did have a time limit. Actually, Maurice won by decision. Okay. But um, it was a long fight. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how long it was. Uh, but that, that was, you know, when 
Mark Coleman started notoriously getting tired at yeah. the beginning of his fights and turning pinker and pinker as the fight went on. And uh, he ended up losing the, the UFC heavyweight title to Maurice Smith in the dark. Wow. You know, it's I, it's I think it's the old school wrestling fan in me. You know, like when I was younger, I watched wrestling. And uh, I half expected, like, an opponent to appear in the octagon <laughs> and, like, hit, hit either Stefan Struve or Roy Nelson with a steel chair when the when Bruce Buffer and the ref weren't looking. So, But it didn't happen. Luckily, everything, uh, uh, you know, once they got the lights back on, it went mm. off without a hitch. Yeah. And, and who knows how disruptive, you know, it's interesting. Who knows how disruptive that was for the fighters? Because they were just doing the intros, and then they had to, like, go sit and wait for that the, the pre-tape match to air. And, you know, they might have been all warmed up and then got... Unwarmed up and yeah, that could have been. Uh, who knows? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the Winter Olympics when uh, one of the female skiers got in an accident and uh, then the the person you know behind you're talking her about the teammate? Lindsay Vaughn Julia Mancuso feud. Yeah. Whoa, hey yeah. now, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. I every hour of the Olympics. I mean, oh man, that uh, was so sad to watch yeah. her just like bawling. Yeah. <laughs> All right, off topic, but yeah. don't, <laughs> it, don't it's cry. like that. Yeah. <laughs> They're both attractive. It's fine. We'll watch both of them. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But the other one, you know, the other one was having right, a really yeah. good run going right. down, and you can't really be upset about your against your teammate because she fell and wiped out. It's, it's, yeah. Okay, let's not, let's not harp on the uh, Winter Olympics. Uh, can we get to the uh, Ultimate Fighter yet, or um, anything else? Yeah, let's talk about the Ultimate Fighter, and then we'll talk about the upcoming uh, pay-per-view. Right. But uh, what'd you guys... I missed, well, I missed the final yeah. 10, 15 minutes of the Ultimate Fighter because the fight night ran long, and I watched it all on my DVR. Don't so. be like Tobin and myself. You yeah. know, remember, if you are using DVR to yeah. watch... Uh, you know, your favorite programs at different times. Uh, those sports events, you know, yeah. especially UFC, almost notorious for going way over. And I think it would have been, like, the UFC's normally pretty good with it. I, um, I think it was the power outage. Yeah, because like, honestly, you know, because they had to throw in that, that extra bout because of the power outage, so I think that really threw it off. And, you know, I normally, just by habit, because all television shows do it now, they go a couple minutes past their, their allotted time. Uh, because, you know, they can trick viewers into watching more of their show or, like, stick around for the next show and get extra bonus rating points. Uh, yeah. So I usually do five minutes for most shows. Yeah. Um, Lost really screws me. I have to do, like, ten minutes. But, yeah, I mean, like, this was 15 minutes past, so I missed the... I believe it was the last fight of the night on Tough. Which was yeah, the... I'll, I'll tell you guys how yes. it goes down. The emo kid versus the mint chocolate chip head. Yeah, well, now the emo kid was the misfit. He had a devil lot yeah, going he did on. That was, that was not emo. That was uh, some Where Eagles Dare action. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that fight went down with um, the mint chocolate chip guy getting a uh, TKO victory, but not before totally destroying his buddy's face. Yeah. He... Uh, he had him on the ground, I think, when it actually happened, and he landed a shot and just destroyed the guy's nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, I mean, it was probably the worst broken nose I've ever seen. Dana White said the same thing. Part of his nose, like the bridge of his nose was going one direction. The tip of his nose was going the other direction. <laughs> and then they get up, and uh, Chocolate Chip is like, Dude, I totally smashed your face. And the guy's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and the ref is looking all like gnarled out about it, like, oh, God. And then like the, the fight does end up uh, wrapping up pretty shortly afterwards. And then, uh, you know, in the post-fight interview that they have of all the guys, the guy's like, yeah, you know, I, I was pretty bummed that I hurt him so bad. But, uh, you know, I just hope that everyone thinks that I'm not, you know, just fun and games now. I'm a pretty cool guy, but I can also be a pretty gnarly dude. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I had to look it up online because I don't know if we can get away with calling it a chocolate mint chocolate chip head and <laughs> devil what devil lock devil lock devil yeah. lock it's true uh, he used Clay the right McKinney, term uh, putting it on Charlie Lynch so, okay well that's that's cool and well, they were friends and stuff they were I buddies guess? they hugged afterwards hugged it out hugged yeah. It out. yeah um he apologized for breaking his nose and the guy was like I you know I don't blame you I would have done the same to you yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of weird though that they uh, got matched up together I mean I I guess it's probably random, but you would think that, uh, you know, like sometimes teammates end up on the show, and I I don't see teammates fight each other too much. You'd, I would think that they would, uh, out of 28 guys, be able to fight somebody else. Yeah. Right, or right. maybe they just wanted to get their punk quota on the yeah. show. Mm-hmm. They just had that drama, had to have the extra drama of friends fighting. Yeah, we need one extra yeah. punk rocker on yeah. the show this well, year. Well, Dana White can't get guys under a Zufa contract to fight each other if they're teammates, so he probably has to take it out on the tough competitor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of curious on who the two wild cards yeah. wound um, up being. Well, before we uh, really do a whole lot of speculation, I think we should just mention for the, the people who missed this, because this is a new format for The Ultimate Fighter. Um, traditionally, there's always been, you know, 16 or 32 people on the show, because those are, you know, multiples of two, you know, you just keep multiplying by two, and uh, everyone has to fight to advance around. Uh, in, in the older seasons, uh, sometimes people get eliminated without fighting, or somebody can squeak without a fight. Uh, Sam Hoger you know, was bragging about how he managed to get to the quarterfinal or the semifinals without actually having to fight, but then proceeded to lose right away. So it didn't really matter, <laughs> and really became one of MMA's most beloved personalities. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this time around, they had 28 fighters, and it's like, hey, where's this number 28 coming in? You know, you divide that in half, and it's 14. Well, uh, the the plan of attack, I guess, is they get 14 guys in the house, and. Uh, Dana White, Chuck Liddell, and Tito Ortiz have picked two fighters who lost on the last episode and are going to put them against each other uh, to be number 15 and 16. And then the winner of that will basically get the eighth slot in the semifinals. Hmm. So we haven't found out the two that they've picked. No, we haven't found out. Okay. So at this point, it's purely speculation. There are certain people that we can pretty much rule out. I'm fairly confident the French dude isn't oh, going to be in there. Oh, come on. He was great. <laughs> Which, by the way, <laughs> new rule. If you're going to come and represent anyone, I don't care if it's a country, a religion, a group of people, an ideology, you are not allowed to be like, we are not a bunch of pussies, and then just like quit after a round. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, and Dana White said it. He's like, man, this does not do anything really to help uh, you know, get rid of that stereotype yeah. about the French being quitters. And yeah, that was... That was bad. And Which I didn't know, you know, he had to be the representative. I thought that there was another half Czech decent. Congo. There's Czech Congo. Yeah. Who's not great, but obviously better than that there's guy. George, yeah. There's George St. Pierre, who is a French-Canadian, who yeah. can at times be Frencher than French people. Yeah. I, I, I did find that very, very amusing. Yes. Uh, the guy with the kicks was really awesome. The big wild hair. I, 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 I don't know him as Head Kick McGee. I don't, I don't know what his name is though. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he. I don't think he threw a punch that whole fight. He just kicked the dude like six times until he yeah. fell down. Which I mean isn't. Which is nice to look at, and we'll see what kind of promise he'll actually bring. You know, yeah, to, to he, the UFC. But I, I think. I would think, anyway, that he's going to have to mix it up at some point and uh, throw a few more things into his game, but that was extremely impressive on a guy who just stood there and took him. Uh, I mean, I I think he hurt him with one of the ones early is really all I can say because the guy really didn't throw anything back. He just put his hands up, 
and tried to block him. I mean, you block a kick that's got a lot of force in it, it's still going to shake you around. And as he was getting shaken around and shaken around and shaken around, eventually he went down. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. A couple couple things, and I know it's part of his shtick, but, you know, it's like it's hard for me to understand what Dana White says is when he's cussing all the time. When there's, you know, bleep, 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 bleep. You know, I'm totally for cursing. And, you know, get on the DVD, unedited, you know, that's fine. But it's just it's just hard to follow along sometimes. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, at, at least the Ultimate Fighter, though, is it's not live, so they can go in there and add it later, as opposed to doing the the six second delay rule that yep. goes on on a lot of these shows, where you know you'll just hear the corner guy say something, and there's just a complete silence there. Right, right. Do you, yeah. do you miss the commentary? Do you think they should yep. uh, bring that in? You yeah, do? I, I notice it every time I watch it, and it, and not to say that commentary is necessary, but it just seems so. The fights just seem so like in a vacuum. Like, they, maybe they should mic up more of the people on the sidelines a bit more. Of course, you know, after Rampage coached, I don't know if we need to hear, get up, don't let them do that, punch them. Tito uh, seemed to have some pretty good tips. Like, Tito's, right. you know, had a good reputation of being an all right coach. Both of the guys yeah. did. That was one of the reasons I was so excited about this yeah. season coming in, is that both of these guys were very successful coaches in their previous seasons. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see some of the other guys uh, who have been successful. I've... No real desire to see Rampage coach a team again. I'd love to see him just be on the show because mm-hmm. he's an entertaining personality, but he's pretty worthless as a coach. But there's a lot of guys who made very good coaches. Rashad Evans, uh, it could just be the fact that he was up against Rampage, but you know he yeah. went seven and one in the the first stint, and uh, you know well, he's got some of that good. Greg Jackson Jackson uh, mojo as well. So uh, yeah, that always helps out. But uh, yeah, both these guys. Uh, are pretty promising in terms of like what they've accomplished as coaches in the past. Um, so that should be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the quality of the fighters seems to be, uh, so far at least, seems to be better. I mean, I've, coming off of the season of heavyweights, uh, one would hope the, comp- the competition is at least better just because, you know, the, the heavyweight division, you know, overall is, is uh, the talent pool's uh, not as deep. So, um, you, you know, most of the good heavyweights have already been signed promotions, that sort of thing, yeah. whereas, you know, you might find some really good unsigned talents, uh, several good fighters, you know, in different weight classes out of the heavyweight division. So I think there there's a possibility that we'll get some uh, quality fighters here. And, and who knows how they'll um, – I, I know Tough has kind of taken some grief for, like, the, playing up the uh, the drama and the shenanigans and stuff. So I guess, you know, we're only one episode in. We'll have to see how it plays out this season. But yeah. Seems promising. You mentioned the coaches, and I, I agree there. And at this point, you know, seeing as how we haven't actually seen the guys in the house yet, who knows uh, how the the antics in the house are going to turn out? There's always, you know, the scene where there's a handful of dudes that have already lost, and then they get drunk and destroy the house. That's pretty much guaranteed that's going to happen at some point. Um, but you know, there may not necessarily have to be any ridiculous like uh, Junior Browning or you know stuff like that go on. But, yeah, the fighters definitely look better. Um, you know, nobody gassed out two minutes into the fight. And, uh, you know, like, there wasn't a whole lot of particularly sloppy technique. You mentioned that uh, the talent pool is much wider at these lower weight classes, and that is definitely true. But also another thing is that, you know, it's easy, uh, comparatively, of course, for a 185-man uh, to have the cardio to go for, you know, 15 minutes compared to a guy who's like 240 pounds. Right. So um, so even if the guys are not as technically sound, they can at least kind of get away with it more because they're not also gassing out at the same time. Yeah. Okay. 
I mean, anyone can get tired. You can be a lightweight and get tired, but as a lightweight, you can uh, you can get your cardio up better just because you have less muscles to move around. Um, which is why you know you'll see the lightweights have such fast-paced fights compared to heavyweights a lot of times. So uh, you know, in in this weight class, there certainly seems to be you know we, we're going to get some interesting fights out of the deal at least, and we're going to get to see the drama between Chuck and Tito which is already promising. Chuck started some smack talk with Tito a little bit. Tapping from, from punches. Yeah, yeah. Who, who does that? Which, Only this, right, he, Tito? I, I really think Chuck Liddell's pretty funny. He has such just like a, a dry, yeah. dry sense of humor, and he's just kind of like not sneaky about it at all. I don't know. He's yeah. uh Chuck Liddell, he's a lovable than, oaf. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Liddell more than a lot of uh, UFC fighters. Like It just strikes you as a kind of guy like, I could hang out with him, you know. Like he could just don't be, anger him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you better not disrespect his punching power because I've seen people do that and he's got upset. But you know, it's like I could, I could see having a beer with that guy, you know, without like getting in a fight with him. And you know, and Tito didn't seem all that bad either. You know, he's at least uh, I don't know shouting out. I think once Tito gets into like fight promotion mode is when he gets bad. Yeah. But, I mean, like you hear interviews with him and stuff when he's not. You know, preparing for a fight, and he's a he's a normal guy. I mean, yeah, it's he just knows really how to. He, he, sure, he has sex with a porn star, <laughs> <laughs> relatively for a fighter, you know. But yeah. he knows he knows how to sell the fight, and he knows that you know, like the conflict sells, so he really pushes that up. But yeah, I don't. These guys don't. It, it'll show. always be entertaining, yeah. you know, Chuck versus Tito because yeah. they're just such polar opposites on everything. Yeah, Tito is totally the WWF style uh, <laughs> promoter, where he's like, I'm going to make as much noise as possible. Yeah. I don't care if you like me, but you're going to buy the pay-per-view, even if it's just to see me get my face punched in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if uh, you care about the money more than you care about the popularity, then it works. Yep. Uh, just quick note for listeners. Uh, Jamie Yeager, uh, also known as Headkick McGee, was the first fighter to get into the house. Um, yeah, that was, that was cool. He yeah. just kind of destroyed that guy that was in front of him. And, you know, one good thing about uh, Tough is you just, don't know anybody, so yeah. Some of, yeah, I mean, some of the hardcores might recognize a few guys here from here and there, but yeah, I mean, just uh, from a general viewing point, like I'm not familiar with many of these guys at all. Yeah. I recognize the name Nick Ring. I think was about it. Yeah, and I believe he was the guy who was talking about how like he was uh, more of the veteran of the bunch yeah. than a lot of the other guys. And I believe he was he's Canadian. Um, I would hope, hope so because he was someone out, was pretty thick Canadian. He, he in was there. throwing out the A's a lot. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, um, yeah, it should be uh, interesting, to say the least, and it's on my DVR. Right, so. well, this one was like, I mean, because the first episode of Tough is always kind of hard to break down because it's really just they throw all as many fights as they can at the wall. I mean, this was like I mean, this was like 14 fights, recap. I mean, they didn't even show all the full fights. There was a lot of quick recaps and stuff. Yeah. But it, And so, you know, once once they settle into the house and kind of show more of, like, the, the training aspects and then get to the, like, you know, just one or two fights a week, I will be able to kind of like dissect them more and stuff. But this one, it was just really like, hey, yeah. look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And you have to have an incredible memory to uh, to remember just like all the names and all the yeah. the styles after that. Like some of the stuff that really stands out, like the head kicking. Uh, you know, like you'll remember that. Yeah, or the, broken the broken nose. And there's like the one really bloody fight, I think. Oh yeah, that guy was a gusher. But that one was just in a uh, in a clip form yeah. as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it, it should be good. So uh, another 
pay-per-view is on the way. <laughs> Yay. All right. But I think this is the last one for a little while. Right. We'll have we got, a little break after this. We'll one. get a little break. We got uh, we got free Bellator on uh, if you have Fox Sportsnet this week. So that's that's something. And you got the free Strike Force uh, in April. Uh, it is April in a couple weeks. Yeah. So um, you know, you'll have that to look forward to. But you know, for, yeah. for top UFC action, you gotta you gotta put down the money. Yeah. This is the last hit the wallet though for a little bit. I don't know if they have any other April events. Uh, let's see here. Let me uh, let me. Check. Although this is early in the month, they yeah, might have a late yeah. April event. It's good and it's nice to be busy with this stuff. I and mean, you know, we love the sport. Um, it's just like there's no season. For yeah, for mixed right. martial arts, you know, it's it's just always well, I think there. It, I think it almost takes away some of the the specialness, you know. And like back in the day, and again, I I didn't watch the UFC like on pay per view when it first came out, but you know, uh, just like even from a news cycle, you know, even several years ago, um, there were events, you know, there frequently, but not every other week or every three weeks, something like that. Uh, you know, and, and again, back like the, when UFC first kind of made it onto the scene, it was like what two, three events a year or something like that. I mean, it was... I mean, I'm talking like old-school UFC, blood sport type, you know, yeah. UFC 1. But, I mean, so you had time to build and stuff like this, and this, and now it's just kind of like there's always news out there or there's always the next fight where it's you don't have the... Uh, it's hard to build up anticipation because, you know... It's right around the corner. Right. You've got, you got, you got like eight other things to think about in, in that time frame. I mentioned, you know, it's like, oh, UFC this weekend, but before that you even got Bellator coming up, and who's going to be able to keep track of all this stuff? Yeah, so. well, I mean, when you and I got into the sport, Matt, that was uh, probably two years before uh, the Ultimate Fighter blew up the sport. And, uh, I mean, there were five, six shows a year, which pretty much rounds out to uh, one every other month. I'm like, if you got to miss that show for whatever reason, that sucks. Because then, you know, you're going four months without any UFC. And, I mean, because they're so few and far between, yeah, I mean, it builds up and all that stuff. I mean, I remember looking forward to some of these fights, and it's just like, man, this is going to be a great fight, you know. And uh, you get to talk, and everyone's bitching and moaning about who's going to win and who's going to lose and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, at this point, it's such like a, a nonstop motion that, you know, we just got done talking about uh, who was going to win between uh, Kenny Florian and uh, Gomi, and we barely even have time to like go back and say like what that means for people because now, bam, it's time to talk about yeah. BJ Penn. Yeah, which is uh, you know, it, at least we have the options now. But yeah, it is a little not much. It's hard to have things resonate. You know, like I was looking at the card, I'm like, oh yeah, Anderson Silva and BJ Penn are both on this card. That's this week. Oh yeah. Whereas <laughs> like, I mean, two of the top ten pound for pound pound for pound fighters should be a huge deal, and it is. But you know, just from a not to mention that this is, you know, the first UFC in Abu Dhabi, right? And which is the, uh, a pretty huge deal. It's 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 an outdoor stadium as well, right? I think it, it's outdoor but sheltered. I believe they decision. Uh, not that I think they have a whole lot of rain there. It's desert, but um, yeah, it's. I, I saw some pictures of the stadium in construction. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's certainly like it, it's outdoors, but there's uh. It's kind of a crazy dome thing going on. You'd have to see the picture to really under. I'm not going to be able to describe it yeah. to justice, but it looks pretty cool, um, and it's, it's going to be huge. Yeah, and for me, that's part of the appeal of. I mean, because of course, seeing Anderson Silva and BJ Penn, uh, you know, defend their belts uh, is interesting. But I mean, they're not going against. They're going against heavy underdogs. But I mean, part of it is going to be that kind of spectacle of like their first time in the Middle East, their first time in a huge outdoor stadium, that sort of thing. Just kind of get the whole like take in the whole feel. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be something somewhat unique. And then you know, of course, see guys gas out way quicker because they're going to be like super hot, and no one be able to get a submission after like three minutes into the first round because people are going to be too sweaty from the heat, and it'll be great. Can't wait. 
Yeah, but also, you know, I mean, Abu Dhabi is uh, this prince that bought part of the UFC. He's a, a Henzo Gracie black belt, mm-hmm. which, uh, or I think he's a black belt. That's part of the reason why he uh, they have Henzo Gracie fighting on this yeah. card. But um, I guess, like, jiu-jitsu is part of the curriculum for schools there. It's something I just recently read. That's awesome. Um, you know, like, instead of wrestling where we, uh, what we have in America, you know, you feel like taking a combat sport in high school, bam, uh... I don't know if it's actually jiu-jitsu or if it's the, the no-gi submission grappling, because I know that they're really big on that in Abu Dhabi. But, um, yeah, it's pretty cool, I think, that they get to lock on chokes in each other in high school. So these are title defenses? How did they come up with these uh, with these challengers, too? Um, well, we've got Frankie Edgar taking on uh, BJ Penn. And Frankie Edgar, I mean, uh, his only loss... UFC is Gray Maynard. I believe it's his only last period. Right. I mean, so he's got a pretty impressive resume. Um, and Damien Maya would have got there eventually. I mean, he had to rebound from that loss to um, Nate Marquardt, so it should have been a few more fights. But because uh, Vitor Belfort was originally going to be challenging Anderson Silva, he had an injury, so now um, Chael Sonnen wasn't going to be able to recover in time, who I think a lot of people could say he's made a case for challenging now. Um, so Damian Maya got the spot. He's coming off a win over um, one of the Millers, Jim I think. Miller, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me. Uh, I have to double check that now. But um, <laughs> there's too many Millers in MMA. So, but yeah, so Tiago's and Millers, Tiago's and Millers, and uh, it's 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 a confusing, confusing thing. Uh, you know, so um, it, I think it's um, you know, I was looking online earlier, and I mean, both Edgar and uh, Damian Meyer are around the same. Like underdog status is like looking at like Dan Hardy versus George St. Pierre, um, you know, in, in that realm. So they're not expected to win by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it's just one of those things, you know, you got to you got to have your champions defend their belt. And, you know, they are taught fighting uh, guys who have made their cases. They're just, you know, it's it's again that difference between can you see the challenger winning or is it just do you give the challenger a shot because he's had this many wins, he's fought this many times and he he's beaten, you know, uh, a good amount of other top fighters, and um, he, again, Damian Maya is kind of in that tricky spot where he's coming in off an injury. He, he's an injury replacement, but um, he, he, again, you know, a few more fights he would have been making yeah. his case. Well, so. and the thing about that is, even though he's the one who's the injury replacement, I honestly see him having a better chance at yeah. winning his match than uh, Frank Edgar. I'm kind of surprised they've got similar uh, betting odds because I would think that. Uh, Damian Maya, while I wouldn't expect him to win, uh, I think that'd be a pretty silly bet. Um, you know, like if he can get it to the ground, he can win any fight. He's probably the best uh, jujitsu guy in the sport right now. Yeah, and Anderson Silva's good on the ground, but I mean, Damian Maya has put away yeah. quite an impressive array of uh, fighters. Well, so. they're both black belts in jujitsu, but you know, when you're talking black belts, there's a lot of uh, there's a huge range of uh, how good a black belt is. Because I mean. Uh, you can become infinitely good, but you know there's only a, a certain point where you become a black belt. And Damian Maya is—he's uh, a world champion uh, as of just a few years ago in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So he's certainly got the edge on the ground, but you know Anderson Silva certainly got the edge standing up. Every fight stands st- uh, standing up is where it starts. So uh, there's no reason to bet that uh, Damian Maia would get it to the ground before getting knocked out, but it's certainly possible. As opposed to Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn, where it's like, Frankie Edgar has got good boxing, but BJ Penn's got better boxing. BJ Penn is also a world champion on the ground, and he's damn near impossible to take down. 
Right, so yeah. You can never like completely say, like, Frankie Edgar cannot win this fight. But you kind of look at it like this is BJ Penn's fight to lose. Right, and I kind of envision uh, kind of a, a, a similar like a Diego Sanchez or even Kenny Florian where, you know, it, it's a long, long fight relatively. You know, it, it goes a while before BJ Penn either finishes it or, you know, maybe it even goes to a decision. But I don't see it being a fight where BJ Penn at any point is really losing. Um, whereas Damian Maya versus Anderson Silva, I think, is going to be over quick one way or the other. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I don't see it. Uh, I, I think especially after Anderson Silva's fight versus Talos Leites, uh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see another fight like that where Damian Maia is just going to pull guard and Anderson Silva won't engage him. I think Damian Maia is going to be, might come out a little more, aggre- work more aggressively for the takedown. And if he tries to stand at all, he's going to get Forrest Griffin. So. Yeah. Well, Damian Maia is certainly going to be more aggressive. I should hope he's traditionally been more aggressive in the takedown. Right. And, um, I mean, Anderson Silva is not impossible to take him da- down. Uh, Travis Luter took it down, Anderson Silva. Travis Luter's good, but he's not an elite wrestler. He's he's not taking down everyone. So uh, it, it's certainly not outside of the realm of possibility that uh, Damian Maia can bull rush Anderson, Sil- Anderson Silva and get mm-hmm. him down. Um, but doing the Talos ladies is not going to do him any favors. That's just going to... You know, drag out the fight and make a lose a whole lot of fans and get cut if you have any more losses after that, which is exactly what happened to Talos Ladies after that. Yeah, so entering position again, like both both champions heavily favored, but uh, we'll we'll see. There's always that possibility, and yeah, I mean, Damian Maya's got a better shot, um, but uh, we'll see. I, I think yeah, for me, it is really just kind of the interest of seeing the top fighters fight. You know, whether they're fighting a guy who people legitimately believe could beat them or just, you know, fighting another challenger who has maybe a shot but not not expected to do much. So, uh, it, it, you know, just kind of seeing the, the top top fighters establish, you know, continue their dominance, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, we've got uh, <laughs> Martin, Matt Hughes versus Tenzo Gracie. And I had put the sigh out there. I couldn't even get through, the, uh, through saying it. Um it's a name fight. Matt Hughes is no longer uh, an elite uh, welterweight. Uh, Henzo Gracie is, it's his, he's basically coming out of semi-retirement at this point. Um, so it, I guess from like the name value, it's interesting. But as far as the fight goes, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a relevant fight to me at all. And, you know, no disrespect to either fighter. They've had long storied careers. But just at this point in their careers, I don't think that what they have to offer is is anything special for the welterweight division as it stands now in the UFC. Um, and, and it's interesting if uh, Matt Hughes was basically fighting anyone else, you know, any kind of top ten, top fifteen competitor in the welterweight division, I'd probably pick against him. But he's not. He's fighting Henzo Gracie, who is, you know, again got a storied career and you know a decent record. He's coming off a three fight win streak. But it's against Frank Shamrock, Carlos Newt, and Pat Militech, who are all not in the primes of their careers anymore. And even then, the Frank Shamrock one was by disqualification. Knees to the head on the ground, yeah. And that was back in uh, February 2007. So it's been a while. Um, and from all accounts, he's been training really hard. You know, we saw him in the uh, the UFC build-up to the uh, Hardy GSP fight, training with GSP. So, you know, he, he, we might see something surprising from him, but... Um, I don't know. It's it's not really a fight that I have a lot of high anticipation for. Yeah, but um, I'm I'm gonna go out and say uh, Hughes by decision on this one, mm-hmm. um, just by virtue of uh, he's a wrestler who at this point in his career is pretty hard to submit, 
And, uh, you know, Henzo Gracie is essentially a jujitsu guy. So I pretty much envision Matt Hughes being on top of Henzo Gracie for three rounds and, you know, quite possibly being spending the whole time defending submissions. But you score points for being on top, and uh, that usually ends up winning unless you're, you know, barely out of a triangle choke. You're pretty right. much considered to be winning. Um, I think kind of at this point in Matt Hughes' career, though, I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. Okay. Um, I will agree that he has not looked impressive since uh, really his first loss to uh, George St. Pierre. Um, he, he really hasn't put uh, an impressive win since then. But you look at his losses, and they are to the number one and three guys in the world at the weight, um, you know, George St. Pierre and Tiago Alves. Mm-hmm. And then he's won his other two fights, and they haven't been in too spectacular of a fashion. Right, I uh, Chris Lytle is pretty hard to put away, and Matt Hughes just kind of grinded him out for, you know, three rounds. Not a whole lot there. And then the Matt Serra fight, uh, Matt Serra is another guy that's really hard to rank. Uh, you know, nobody really knows where he's at, but he's coming off a pretty brutal uh, knockout win over Frank Trigg. And, um, you know, Matt Hughes won that fight. It was close, but there was also that big headbutt in there that really kind of affected things. Yeah. So I'm not going to say that Matt Hughes deserves to be ranked number four right behind Tiago Alves. But, you know, he's a guy who had a really long time on top. He's pretty much the best champion in UFC history. Anderson Silva and uh, George St. Pierre are creeping up on him. But I I don't know that necessarily either of them have passed him in a a true reign of dominance yet. And, uh, I mean, he hasn't looked bad in terms of who he's lost to. It's just that he, he looked bad in those losses. The the only thing that really makes me uh, feel kind of bad about him is kind of some of the things that he's said, you know, where he says, like, I'm not looking to fight these up-and-comers. I'm looking to fight the name people. Right. Uh, I'm looking for the money fights. And it's just like, he kind of sounds like he doesn't care too much anymore. Well, and, I, I don't think he... I think it is, like, you know, kind of like, what does he have to prove anymore? He He's one of the most dominant champions in UFC history and... Yeah, and I, I think he knows he's not going to get the belt back. Right. He, he's not going to beat George St. Pierre, um, and, you know, there, there's no shame in that. He, he yeah. beat him once, and that's better than most people do. And then he turned George St. Pierre into a monster freak machine. Yeah. And it was Matt Hughes' fault. But, you know, I, I think if you put Matt Hughes up there and he trains, you know, properly, he could, you know, probably hold his own with a lot of people. But, you know, I may be completely wrong just because we haven't really seen him fight too much lately. He fought once in 2009, uh, I believe only once in 2008. Yep. So, I mean, he's had two fights in two calendar years. Yeah, and before that he fought twice in 2007. So, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Um, I, I guess the obligatory question is, is this going to be more competitive than Matt Hughes versus Hoist Gracie? Yeah, well, I would think so uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that, you know, Hoist Gracie was pretty much at, at Matt Hughes' peak. Uh, I mean, Matt Hughes was in his prime. He had been raining terror upon the welterweights for five years at that point. And, uh, you know, this is basically right before the George St. Pierre uh, ended his reign of dominance. Right. And, uh, you know, Henzo Gracie... He doesn't have the name of Hoist Gracie because, uh, you know, Hoist was the one that did UFC 1. But I think Henzo is probably better than Hoist Gracie. Right. He seems to be more of a complete MMA fighter where Hoist Gracie was really a jiu-jitsu guy. Who yeah. Making you know, boxers and wrestlers look bad. Yeah. And also, uh, Henzo is bigger than Hoist. So that might play a little bit into it, yeah. too. When uh, Matt Hughes fought Hoist, Matt Hughes looked... 
significantly more muscled than Hoist. I mean, there was uh, certainly the height difference. Hoist Gracie is taller than Matt Hughes, but Matt Hughes looked a hell of a lot stronger than him. Right. So, I mean, I would venture to say this will be more competitive. And like I said, I, I, I think this is going to go to the decision, but I would imagine that it's going to be going towards Hughes' direction because he's going to be the one who controls where the fight is, and uh, you know, control is usually what kind of wins decisions when it's on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's hard for me. I, I, I could see Matt Hughes. I, I'd probably take Matt Hughes in this fight unless Gracie gets off a, a quick submit, quick submission early on. But yeah, I, I'd see Hughes taking this fight. I think it's just going to be really indicative of both where these fighters are of their careers right now. You know, if Matt Hughes looks really impressive or how Gracie looks at coming off of you know, you know, several, you know, over a year of inactivity, uh, it, you know, in, in competition. So we shall, uh, we shall see. Hopefully, he looks better than the last Gracie to fight in the UFC. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, doesn't doesn't fall asleep and oh Hollis. Other than that, um, we got Kendall Grove taking on Mark Munoz. Um, I don't have a lot of deep thoughts on that. I'm yeah. but it, it's always kind of Kendall Grove is such a odd fight. He's he's really uh, I hate to use the cliche of being on a roller coaster, but I mean he really he's got his ups and downs, and he never really has been able to string together a consistent uh, streak for the most part. He, he's one of those guys that uh, you know a lot of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, winners and competitors kind of like, oh, yeah, those guys will probably be in the UFC for a while. And Kendall Grove always seems to be on that, that cusp where it's like, you know, if he doesn't win this next fight, you know, he, he could be in trouble. I mean, let's see. Uh, his last fight was a win over Jake Rochelle. Before that, a loss to Ricardo Almeida. Uh, two wins, Jason Day, Evan Tanner. Two losses, Jorge R- Rivera versus pa- and then Patrick Ote. Uh, wins over Alan Belcher, Chris Price, Ed Herman, Jay Carter. Yeah, he definitely hasn't had the... Uh the success that a lot of the Ultimate Fighter winners have had. He's uh, he's kind of right up there with Mac Danzig in, uh, in the fact that, you know, like, yeah, he's still around. He won the show. And, you know, like, it makes you wonder if the UFC would really fire him because he did win the show. Um, I, I don't know that necessarily any of them would ever uh, truly be cut. But, um, yeah, I mean, both of them kind of seemed like for a while now I was like, they uh, they have to win. Yes, and he's taking on uh, Mark the Philippine Wrecking Machine Munoz. Who looked extremely impressive in his last fight where he destroyed Ryan Jensen. It was pretty brutal ground and pound. Ooh, submission to punches, yeah. That's that's problematic. Who does that? Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, like, as a general rule, that's uh, it's kind of uh, tucking something between your legs there, but that looked pretty, pretty brutal. I remember that fight, and... Mm. Uh, yeah, I remember watching this, uh, thinking, Mark Munoz, isn't that the guy that Matt Hamill kicked his head off? Yep. That was really the only memory I had had of him. And he's like, oh, he's going to get his ass kicked here. And uh, he proved me wrong there. He uh, he came out there like a ball of fire. So I'm interested to see his next fight. Yeah, the the, the Matt Hamill loss is the only uh, loss on his professional record, it looks like. Um, so, yeah, he's coming off wins off of Ryan Jensen before that Nick Catone. So, uh we, we shall see. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, uh, I've never been that impressed with Kendall Grove. I mean, I, I think part of it is I'm always worried he's going to break a leg because he's tall and skinny, and that just seems like a bad combination. You think he's going to pull a Corey Hill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know that's kind of like silly and just superficial. I mean, but I can't help it. I'm like, man, he looks, he looks emaciated. It was kind of like almost Nate, uh, Nate Diaz before he he changed weight classes. You know, he just looked like really, like, too skinny to be, like, effective, you know, where you, you know, it's like, does he have enough power behind his his moves? Is he going to, 
you know, he just looks awkward. But again, that's not like I. Yeah, it seems to work for some people. Kenny yeah, Florian yeah. is extremely slender, that's and uh, yeah, I mean, he went down two weight classes after his loss to uh, Diego Sanchez, and has had more success every time he drops down. Yeah. Uh, other than that, looking at the card, we get, like I said, the two title fights and the Hughes versus Gracie and then Grove versus Munoz. And not a lot sticks out to me on this fight. We've got uh, Terry Adam versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, Phil Davis, who was pretty impressive. Yeah. His, his most recent win, uh, he's taking on Alexander Gustafsson. Yeah, I just wanted to mention him. He was the uh, the wrestler who completely smothered uh, Brian Stan, the Marine, yeah. uh, a few months back. And he, he didn't really show any signs of... Uh, having a whole lot of finishing ability at this fight, but that was only his fourth or fifth fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it looked very impressive against a uh, much more seasoned veteran. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, especially with these up-and-comers, you know, they're still developing their game, and it is always uh, fun to see uh, or intriguing to see what, what new aspects they've implemented or added to their game since their last fight. Um, this is a pretty quick turnaround for him, so who knows what more we'll see. Um, but, he, you know, he worked a little bit of stand-up, but it wasn't not much in his last fight, and... Uh, clearly, that that needs work, and I mean, he's got a wrestling background, so he's slowly, you know, becoming you know the yeah. well-rounded MMA fighter. Um, I don't know much about Alexander Gustafsson at all, uh, other than uh, just looking at his record, win over Jared Hammond, uh, Vladimir Shamarov before that. But yeah, I mean, UFC 105, his win over Jared Hammond was his first uh, UFC fight. So, I, I, like I said, just don't know much about him, but KO punches in uh, the first round. So awesome. We shall uh, see. And looking at his record, it looks like uh, uh, one submission on his record. So if we're just going to go by record uh, lurking, he appears to be a stand-up <laughs> fighter. Yeah, which uh, you know that, that could be said for Brian Stan also. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this is just kind of a build-up fight for Phil Davis. Give him another chance to uh, you know kind of grind through some more meat and uh, work his game a little bit more. They seem to be doing a pretty good job lately of building up some prospects yeah. slowly. That is the kind of the nice thing, and I think I think it might be a result of having Bellator out there and having a Strike Force out there. Whereas not like they're necessarily concerned about Strike Force or Bellator taking big names from them. And you have your exceptions with like you know Roger Huerta or um, Dan Henderson. But for the most part, the bigger name talent is going to go to the UFC. But um, you do have Bellator and Strike Force taking up a lot more, uh, focusing more on you know up and coming fighters now. So I think the UFC has been more competitive in that aspect now, which is kind of nice. So you see more uh, prospects sooner now in the UFC and elsewhere because it's it's more competitive at this point for them. Yeah, yeah. which is cool because, you know, it gives you the ability to kind of see a uh, career progress as opposed to sometimes, you know, it's just like all of a sudden Lyoto Machida comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's like, oh, he's had this uh, undefeated career in Japan, but now he's here and uh, apparently he's the bomb. Yeah. So it, it's nice to get to see people develop their career, you know. Like John Jones, in his last several fights, we've gotten to see him fight basically some, uh, I don't want to say they're nobodies, but they're not really high-level competition. And, uh, you know, just kind of build upon that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the same could be said for uh, Junior Dos Santos. And uh, it's good to see the UFC do that. They're not necessarily easy fights, but at the same time, they're they're fights that they're expected to win and... Uh, you know, progress their career with them. Yeah. All right. Um, so, any other thoughts for you guys on uh, UFC 112? Invincible? Mm. I guess not from a fighting perspective, but just kind of from the... Uh, we were talking about how this is like you know, the second UFC pay-per-view within the course of, what, two weeks, really? About? 
Yeah, I think so. It was and two then, weeks ago. Then we've had like you, the UFC on uh, Versus, and then the UFC Fight Night, and the Ultimate Fighter premiere. And so we've had a lot of UFC in general, not even just MMA. I mean, because there's more MMA out yeah. there. You know. And they can't keep up that pace forever, and, and uh, us as the viewers right. certainly can't. Right, either. and like it's not a horrible thing to complain about, and you know, certainly the free TV thing is nice, uh, just from like you know, a business perspective, you know. Traditionally, like the UFC pay-per-views that are overseas, whether they're live or not, I forgot that the UFC in Australia was actually a live show, and it still did bad numbers relatively, you know. But, you know, a lot of their overseas shows are tape-delayed, um, so that kind of seems to hurt the numbers, and they haven't necessarily traditionally been as strong on paper, you know, with, with who's fighting. And this one, you know, having BJ Penn and Anderson Silva on the card, and Matt Hughes to an extent as well, uh, they seem to be trying to change that trend at all. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of... Um, I'll be interested to see how, how the numbers kind of play out from how many people, you know, bought, purchased this pay-per-view. Having all this recent UFC action, having another pay-per-view just two weeks ago, uh, and, and having, um, you know, more big fights on the way where we have the, the rematch between Machida and Shogun coming up on the horizon where people might be saving up more for that. So uh, we'll see how it plays out, I guess. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Audio Choke, MMATorch.com. Fan us, the Audio Choke. You can also fan MMA Torch um, on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on iTunes. Download us. Take us wherever you want. Just thanks for tuning in and listening. I'm Greg Rowan. I'm Tobin Shelby. And I'm Matt Collins. We'll see you next week. Audio <laughs> Excellent. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and a little sour note there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just, uh, thought I had, I think we mentioned it before, but yeah, just the, uh, yeah, I mentioned the Bellator stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned that it was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't really say what too is much that? about Wait, it. Is that that it's tournament? the tournament, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. You going to tape that? Uh, yeah, I'll probably DVR it. Sweet. But yeah, I think Roger Wert is on their, uh, the first yeah, episode. He's their new, uh, yeah. their new poster boy, I guess. Yeah. Well, he's like the, I mean, and certainly there's a lot of good fighters in Bellator, but just people without name value, really. Um, aside from the guys who, maybe, you know, Eddie Alvarez and the guy who got yeah. the, what, Toby Amato, who got that ridiculous backwards, upside-down triangle. Oh, yeah, I don't remember his name. I just, yeah, I, yeah. I just saw the, the fucking submission, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. Yes. So. They were saying it it, uh, it blew the jumping heel hook from Rio Chonin to Anderson Silva out of the water. And while it was a pretty crazy submission, nothing takes away from the jumping heel hook on Anderson Silva. Yeah, I think like the technique and the way it looked might have been more impressive, but the fact that Anderson Silva just got submitted like that was just kind of like, that really adds to it. You're like, oh, that's Anderson Silva, and he just goes, what the crap? Yeah. Yeah, well, that and like, they were standing two <laughs> seconds ago, and now the fight ended by submission. Yeah. Like, you don't see that happen. That was only a half hour? <laughs>